You know, I just have to bring this up. I have a very odd association with that song, personally, because every time I see it, I can't help but see the face of Orlando Jones. Because he his character from uh, The Replacements really likes that song, and they play it a couple of times in that movie. And that also, ironically enough, leads me to another pseudo-disco song and play that funky music, White Boy, which plays over another portion of a movie with him called Evolution. And I just, I really didn't want anything to do with Orlando Jones is that I was, you know, watching that movie, watching the credits, and then all of a sudden, in my mind's eye, there he is. Just not a good way to end things for me personally. Hi, everyone. After that little rambling preview, I'm Robert Winfrey, and this is the Radlich and Broadcasting Network's Movie Review Club. Joining me as, I can't say always, but joining me again as you know, 90% of the time, my boss in every sense of the word except, you know, the literal meaning of the word because I don't get paid, Mark Radelich is here. Mark, how are things done in Florida? Uh, they're good. I spent the day watching the show uh, The Glades uh, that, that, that was on A&E <clears throat> or maybe the USA Network, where, uh, depending on where you live. It ran for four seasons and then the fourth season – it ended on a cliffhanger, and then A&E said, fuck it, we're done. <laughs> and, 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 I bring, right. and I bring that up only, only because, like, I'm reading reviews for the Glades. I mean, when people talk about, like, their top five, their top ten uh, best TV shows in modern history, you know, they talk, you, you've got your Breaking Bad, you've got, of course, The Wire, The Shield, uh, Justified is now up there, Suits, Mad Men. Um, hey, people think, feel that way about Suits? Maybe not Suits. I might have just been thinking of Mad Men and Suits came out. But, um, okay. well, they, and I'll tell you, they certainly don't say Gotham. But, um, you know, I never hear the Glades mentioned, though I've seen the picture for it in a bunch of different places, which is an orange being stabbed and blood coming out. And I thought, well, I've got nothing better to do for 12 hours, you know, like my job or anything. So uh, I'll give this a shot, seeing as I live in Florida. How bad could this be? It's it's not a bad show. I mean, it's not the best thing I've ever seen. Um, it's certainly uh, it's not a police procedural, if you will, in the you know in the sense that it resembles reality. But it's a fun show, and I like the fact that it's set in Florida. It's one of those things where like shows like that live and die by their character interactions, on-screen chemistry, and I mean, it's just like you know, what are the other shows in that same vein? You know, Bones, Castle. Burn notice. Yeah, we're of that nature. Basically where nothing the actually guy, happens. Well, I was going to say, it, it seems like the lead is is the smartest quip machine in the room. Um, there's no, there's you know, there are no other detectives in in whatever precinct. You know, like he's uh in this one, he's a state, uh, he's an FDLE detective, and apparently, and his partner is the is the medical examiner. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, people who write television have no idea of what actually goes into partnerships in law enforcement. They, they, they just, certainly don't. They certainly don't partner the detective with the with the medical medical examiner. Or you know, you know a writer with no law enforcement training. Yeah. So, um, but as, anyway. as far as something to kill 12 hours and you ask me how are things done in Florida things in Florida are just fine I'm watching this television show and I'm you know trying to put some distance between justified and and sons of anarchy which I have to watch eventually according to everyone eh, sons of anarchy is pretty good 
That's what I've been told. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm more a fan of of detective and you know homicide shows. Um, I'm not really. I'm, I, I keep telling my friends this. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't really like it with a villain's win. But you're rooting. Oh, for they the don't win. win. Which is <laughs> okay. the, the thing to remember about Sons of Anarchy. It's an adaptation of Hamlet. Okay. And I can, so just keep that in mind. All right. Lest we delve too far into television. This is actually a review of a movie. Uh, Ridley Scott's latest fare, The Martian, came out over the weekend and has done pretty big business. Uh, Are you sure we can't can't keep talking about the Glades? Well, we could, but then I'd start screaming about how stupid it is, and then you'd get upset, and then we'd... (laughs) I know how that conversation goes, and it's not worth pursuing. All right, I'll shut up. (laughs) Go on, sir. Now, this is an adaptation of a novel that came out, what, a couple of years ago? I mean, it's not a 2011, so four years ago. A very well-received novel. Uh, it was optioned almost immediately. Uh, had a couple of different writers and directors attached to it. We, got, we wound up with Ridley Scott, which is a good thing in this instance. Uh, basic plot structure, uh, you know, the basic plot overview there's a manned mission on mars it's the second or third one uh they encounter a very bad storm which is not actually accurate because the atmosphere of mars doesn't actually allow for the types of force they're discussing but minor scientific inaccuracies aside big dust storm threatens to tip over the ship that is to take them off of the planet and if it tips over they're never going to get it back upright so they have to evacuate early matt damon's character is struck by debris and they can't find him before they have to take off so the rest of the crew leaves him stranded on Mars and he now has to survive he initially believes he has to survive for four years before the next manned mission will land Uh, he's able to reestablish contact with Earth there's a lot about how he's surviving on the planet how he has to try and get food to grow in a very inhospitable environment having to deal with equipment malfunctions, things of that nature, while the people on Earth try to figure out how to get him home or get supplies to him. Eventually they eventually they decide, okay, we're just going to use the spaceship that the crew is coming back on. It's going to slingshot around the Earth, pick up speed, go back to Mars. He's going to take off in uh, the... Uh, the portion of the next manned mission that has already landed because it's not a big deal for them to send unmanned stuff to Mars in preparation for setting, sending a manned crew. So they, he has to get to that new spaceship, launch himself back into outer space, reconnect with his crew, and then return home. And he does this. It's so, easy, no... it's so easy a child could do it. Sorry, what was that? I said, it's so easy a child could do it. <laughs> Yes. Uh, He eventually gets home safely. Everyone's happy. And I I was very happy at the end of this movie, by and large. This is probably Ridley Scott's best movie of the last 10 years. And I say that as someone who actually has enjoyed a great deal of his work over that time. Eh, Some of it. Uh, I really enjoyed Kingdom of Heaven. 
you have to see the direct again i have to emphasize the director's cut is vastly superior to the theatrical release because the studio butchered it i actually enjoyed prometheus i think he gets a bad rap because of man of steel syndrome but this is clearly like the best movie he's done in that 10 year period and it's really it has all of the hallmarks of a great ridley scott movie uh, Matt Damon acquits himself very well in the main role. So I'm jumping ahead of myself here. So, Mark, yeah, okay, did you enjoy this movie when you were – I mean, again, it, it Ridley Scott has a pretty distinctive style. So uh, how do you feel this stacks up with the rest of his filmography? Okay. Um, this was not a movie I was ready to run out and go see. Um, I was – I offered to go see it because – uh, we wanted to add it to our list of reviews, and I and I know it was the big movie of that particular weekend. Something that you wanted to go see, and I and I pretty much dominate what we what we go. I I twist your arm, I force you to go things things you don't want to go see. So I kind of I felt like I kind of owed you this one, but um, I honestly would not have run out to go see The Martian. Um, but I but I, I can't say that I was at all disappointed or that I didn't enjoy it. I did. I thought it was. I thought. I thought it captured the horror of being stranded on a planet very well. You know, I was with Matt Damon. I enjoyed the fact that um, he had to think his way through certain problems, uh, situations, you know, as he says in the movie, he had to science the shit out of things. Uh, it wasn't what I expected because I know a lot of the, I felt like a lot of the focus of the trailer was on him growing potatoes. So, and I thought that was going to be like the whole movie. It's just like, oh, okay, this is um, what's what's the farm game? Uh, farm, farm build a movie on Mars. All right, um, but no, it wasn't. It was it was it was a lot more than that. And again, I just I it's not something I had any um, any knowledge of beforehand. I kind of walked into it cold, uh, but I enjoyed it. I I know you give Matt Damon a lot of crap uh, for his acting. But I I don't I I don't think that that's warranted in this particular movie. I I thought he gave a, a perfectly good performance. Oh yeah, I again my jokes about Matt Damon's acting aside, he's certainly not the worst actor in the world, or even the worst actor associated with the vast majority of his films. That's usually Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, uh, in this instance. He, I was gonna say, he is definitely, though, supported by an outstanding cast. Um, I, I was it, not Jeff Bridges. Um, Jeff, Jesus, what the hell is his Jeff name? Jeff Daniels. Thank you, Jeff Daniels. I really loved in in. You know, it's uh, he's not the douchebag that he was in the newsroom, but he had that sense of authority that that character had, and I thought he, you know, what a terrible position to be in. <laughs> And nobody comes across. Excuse me. Nobody comes across like a villain in this thing. Everyone comes across like people in the middle of, of make, having to make terribly hard choices. And you know nothing, nothing. And it's not. What I liked about the movie was that it felt very realistic to me in the sense that uh, there was no clear cut answer. Uh, and I did like the fact that the one scientist came up with an idea that initially everyone thought was crazy and. Uh, you know, and uh, initially even get shot down, but the pilots end up doing it anyway. The uh, the astronauts. Uh, let's go back to Jeff um, Daniel's character. 
Uh, he was probably my favorite part of the movie, other than some of the visual stuff that Matt Damon does on Mars. Which, by the way, the, the star of this thing, the, the, the best part of this movie is the cinematography. Yeah. The, 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 when the scenes on Mars where you're actually looking out into the distance and the horizon are uh, some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen captured on film. Yeah, this is a very nice-looking movie. Uh, they shot it in – there's a uh, place in Jordan. I I will mispronounce the name if I try. But it's been – that particular segment of the country of Jordan has been used for many a movie set on Mars. It's got the red sand, uh, the rocky kind of backgrounds on the horizon that you can use. And then, you know, you digitally add in and enhance what you need to. Uh, it, it, I'm with you. It looks beautiful. It's just a absolutely glorious-looking movie. Uh, as far as Matt Damon goes, I think he, I think his performance benefits a great deal because they don't focus on him a whole lot. Uh, right. And uh, again, Matt Damon is a fine actor, by and large. He just can't. I don't think he could carry a movie like this kind of by himself. No, this is definitely, an, uh, I think, and you might not realize this because so much of the focus is on Matt Damon. He's, of course, the astronaut left behind. But this is an ensemble movie. This is a movie that is made made better by the sum of all the actors involved and, and the beauty of the landscape and how it's shot and everything else. Um, I mean, it, you know, is it perfect? Um, no, I mean, I, I thought it dragged in, in certain places, but it, yeah, that's. But I'm I'm reaching for things to talk about rather than saying it's good. Okay, plugs. So, um, but I walked out of it satisfied. But I, I'd be lying if I didn't say like there were parts of it where I thought it was kind of draggy. You know, it's like you know, especially the parts on Mars. I was like, eh. I'm with you. I get it. I I certainly don't want I don't want you to 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 get going with this. I don't want you to push this forward because that's sort of you know, the idea of building tension in these things is you want him to. You want you you want your audience to be with him stranded on that planet and share that sense of terror. Uh, on the other hand, it's you know it's not exactly and maybe I'm spoiled because I watch a lot of action movies, but eh, it, there were times where I was like, all right, um, you know, I'm ready for the next thing here. I think part of the problem, my biggest gripe with this is. I think that they don't adequately explain the passage of time here. All of the time as we are presented it with as the audience, we are presented with how many souls, that's S-O-L, Matt Damon has been stuck on Mars. There is no context given. That acronym is never even explained. Right. Which was a minor gripe for me because – the man's on Mars for 200-some-odd souls, I think, a little over when it was all said and done. And I don't know what that equates to on Earth, you know, is that, you know, again, I assume based on, you know, a few other things that I that I kind of inferred that he was on there for about two years. And it, I just wonder, would it have killed them to actually say he's been there for two years? Two years, three years, you know, whatever. What? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. It's, it's one of those things where I didn't focus on it while I was watching the movie, 
because the point of this is that he was there for a very long time. But, but, you know, whether it's a year, six months, six weeks, the idea is how does this man survive in on an inhospitable world long enough to be rescued? I mean, and so time in and of itself is not that that important of a factor, though it would have been nice to know. All you needed well, to know was it's not relevant to the tension in right. the sense that okay, t- he's going to run out of food. Okay, I get that. Or it's go- you know there's a huge distance between Earth and Mars. It's going to take however many months for even a probe to that is launched tomorrow you know if we launch tomorrow it takes you know so many months for it to actually reach the planet oh, i said to you before i said i jokingly thought this was going to be farmville the movie and uh one of the things that jumped out at me and really caught me by surprise is where he actually blows up past the base and he loses uh his potato crops and so all he's got so the fact that he was able to grow potatoes, which does become a, a big part of the movie in the sense of like they're talking about how, what kind of supplies he has in the food and, you know, are they going to, you know, are they going to expend all this energy to find a dead body up there? Um, so I got that. But I mean, once that happens, that's it. There's no more talk of farming or potatoes or anything else. It's like the, th- the next thing that he, ha- he doesn't really have to science anything at this point. By the time, um, I mean, he's got to, he's got I have a retard of a cat. I just want everyone to know that. That's what that sound is. Um, I believe 80% of all cats suffer from some form of mental retardation. Yeah, my, my cat's right up there. Um, in any case, yeah, he has to figure out how to get the rover to uh, to the landing site of the next mission in order to you know in order to take the rocket up. So there's that, but other but other than that. He's not, you know, there's no more trying to survive on this planet. He's just got his crap and he's got whatever food, he, you know, he's managed to save at this point. And now it's just about rationing. Um, though I, I, uh, I, I did enjoy the interactions between him and, and, the, and the folks down, the expectations of, you know, just like, I can, you know, like, like I have done these wonderful things. I have made, I have made, uh, I have survived out of a place that was completely inhospitable. Yeah, we want you to cut your rations in half. <laughs> we want you to do this now. And then, and then the very end, they we want you to strip this rocket down to essentially a couch <laughs> and fly it into space. Good luck. And his, you know, this this is a nightmare. This never ends. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed uh, Matt Damon talking to himself because again, he's completely alone on the planet. So to help keep himself sane, he records logs. Also, you know, for the record and posterity and whatnot. And this is a great – I enjoyed it because I uh, – minor disclaimer, I talk to myself a lot. And some of it's internal, some of it's external, uh, and sometimes it's just to help with problem solving. Sometimes it's because I'm bored, and uh, again, my psychopathology is not an issue. But listening to his internal kind of dialogue manifested externally uh, provided some – Great comedy, I thought. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated about this movie is it's not dark. I mean, you're, there's certainly peril. There's certainly tension. He's certainly stuck in a terrifying position. But this is not a you know, kind of dark, joyless, grim, 
movie in its final execution, and especially coming from Ridley Scott, who is well known for the dark, the grim, the joyless uh, no, subject matter. I would tell you that it was very inspiring. You know, here is a, here is somebody who, against all odds, survives long enough to be saved on another planet. Uh, I mean, I, I, it spoke to you know the co-op. It spoke to the cooperation uh, of human beings, and you know, in, in light of a, an emergency situation, uh, it's. I, I think it spoke to the human spirit. Um, uh, of doing everything that you need to survive, hence the I will survive at the end. Uh, as far as him talking, um, my, my favorite bit was the pirate. You know? Yes, <laughs> uh, that, was, that was pretty I, easily I the best. I could have lived without the rest of it, honestly. Uh, I, mean, I, under, I mean, I understood the purpose of it and, I, and, and everything else. The subject matter was, I'm like, okay, good, good for you, Matt Damon. I, could, I was more interested in the politics of it. Like I said, the Jeff Daniels parts, uh, to you know, in the parts with Sean Bean, and I was, I think, where it picked up for me was when the one crazy scientist figures out a, a better way to get him than what they're currently trying. Those are the parts I thought; those parts would be the most interesting. Because after a while, I, I'm like, I don't think Matt. I know Matt Damon's not going to die, and he's not saying anything of any interest to me. Like when he had problems to solve, like I was, in, I honestly was interested in the potato thing. I was like, all right, well, how's he going to do this? Farms the potatoes in his own poop, and I enjoyed oh, that whole. Not setup. just his own, but uh, I got a bit of a laugh out of that as he's because everything they have is completely drained of water, so that the water, the moisture, can be recirculated in the form of you know drinkable water. So he has to rehydrate all of this feces, and he's got plugs in his nose, and he's still going, oh god, almost. <laughs> He almost wretches a couple of times, and here's where I say the movie I think was a real triumph in modern Amer- in modern big budget movies. This was probably the this is probably the first pure science fiction movie uh, that was marketed towards a mass audience that I've seen on the big screen in a really long time. I mean, well, maybe... you haven't seen Interstellar, so take that with a grain of salt, but. Point, your point uh, okay. is still valid. It's well, then it's one of the few, and like, I, and that's why I said oh, I, yeah. I said I wasn't going to swear in a stack of Bibles about this. But I don't feel like I feel like they do a lot of a lot of space is like for here's where I'm going with this. A lot of quote unquote science fiction isn't really science fiction. It's fantasy or it's action set in space. So Star Trek, yeah. Star Wars which, is a space opera, not a science fiction movie. Right, Star Trek. Uh, used to be science fiction, and then they threw the science out and made it Indiana Jones in space. So, and magic you know, blood. Yeah. Screw those movies. But a lot of um, a lot of our space movies. I mean, look at Alien. Look at you know. You said you know Prometheus was there was no science in Prometheus. It was you no. know that was it was a horror movie set in space. Uh, for, yep. for lack of a better phrase. No, that's so, accurate. You know, so like I said, I, I actually really like science fiction. You know, I enjoy, um, I, I like mystery and, you know, and detective stories. I like trying to, you know, watch a narrative where you try to figure out what happened and the way that they do. I, it's amazing I don't watch more like forensic television shows, like, you know, NCIS and all that crap. Because, because I enjoy crap. That. And you know well, it's crap, so you avoid it. <laughs> that. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't like much network, uh, network television because of the acting, but uh, kind of the stuff we were saying before about the glades. But what I'm saying is, I enjoy the, you know, the science element of fiction, and I don't get to see it a lot anymore because most people don't like science fiction. And, you know, your mass audience. You know, if you look at the kind of stuff that we reviewed over this past year, you know, and I joke about this, but there's a reason why I constantly like will turn to my wife and go, what did you think about this? Because she really is your average moviegoer. You know, she, she's not thinking about this shit real hard. And she just, you know, she likes what she, she likes, what she likes and, you know, whatever entertains her. But I would say that's most people. And most people are not entertained by deep rooted, you know, science fiction. But I thought this movie best best approximated that. Without and then without now, I haven't seen Interstellar, but from what I understand, it gets really convoluted at the end. None of this got convoluted. I didn't leave the movie theater going, "What the fuck just happened?" I, I was Interstellar is not as convoluted as people make it out to be. Well, uh, whatever the, whatever it was, this wasn't convoluted at all. I got it. I was not. Well, this is all very straightforward. Right, and I and and you know, call me a dummy, but I prefer that. Well, the issues with Interstellar, and I promise I will bring this back to The Martian, tend to be more that, first of all, Christopher Nolan explained, did his best to explain 90% of the physics involved with what he was doing, and most of that was theoretical to a large extent. And there's some pretty wonky stuff, but I don't know. Again, I came away from that movie not feeling at all you know, confused or befuddled by it, so I mean, take that for what you will. I just and I happen to also very much. I really like Interstellar. It's, uh, but anyway, but as that pertains to this, this is again, like you said, this, this is pure kind of science fiction in that there's a lot of emphasis put on the actual science as a supporting role to the action, right? Instead of you know, kind of the other way around, where uh, okay, we are putting this in a futuristic setting. Consequently, it must be sci-fi, right? Well, that's the thing. A lot of stuff that gets labeled science fiction is really, as I said before, it's just action movies with with, with science battle. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched any like the making of Star Trek, but they'll actually they'll actually have segments where somebody ha- like somebody in engineering has to has to speak sciency, and they'll and they'll they'll just put in there like science babble and then yeah. you know, and then like one of like the technical people on uh, who's who's working on on the set will go and fill that stuff in the people who like pay attention to the details of Star Trek but let's face it the details of Star Trek are not science it's also it's all fantasy it's all made up yeah it's uh, well uh, ironically enough you know as someone once joked with me about Star Trek who knew a lot more about it than I do, there's actually very few outright scientific errors. There's a few suppositions and leaps in logic, but the number of actual errors is pretty minimal. Um, Whereas I said this one, I didn't feel like I got a lot of science babble. I pretty, you know, I was able to, I mean, there's some fairly simple concepts here. Uh, You know, I have to grow food. Well, I need this, I need this. Like they were very, very good about explaining what he was doing and some people may find fault with that. They may find that the movie was a little too, um, little, little, little too uh, narrative, in the sense that 
he's telling you everything he's doing. There's no, there's not a lot of show me in this movie in that sense. He's telling uh, you every little thing he's doing. I, and the thing about that is, normally I would criticize that, but there's two reasons it works in this case. The story itself is framed in such a way that him narrating his own actions to a video recording of him to a to a log. I mean, if you know, to anyone who's ever you know been involved in something like you know flight or the space program, you actually narrate everything you do pretty much because uh, again, in the case of you know airline travel or you know any aviation. You're doing it for the sake of the black box, so that people, and that's purely an audio recording, so that anyone who recovers this and has to listen to it knows step by step what you're doing. It's very similar in space travel because you're again you're communicating with you know mission control, Earth, your fellow astronauts, so on, basically on purely an auditory level. So you must narrate, and. Then them further, you know, so they don't frame it as just habits from him. They don't give him an imaginary friend to talk to like Wilson. You know, he's recording something. What was that? Finish, but I want to come back to that. Because that was something I thought about when the movie was over. Uh, Okay, and he's not, he, he is deliberately recording this for posterity and to keep his sanity. And when you have framed a narrative device within the overall narrative is such that it makes sense. I don't think it's a very valid criticism to people who think this is too narrative. Fine. Go watch Michael Bay blow stuff up. <laughs> um, I was very much afraid that there was going to be an entire set segment of the movie where Matt Damon has lost his mind, you know, whether it be at the beginning and he has to find it and then, okay, let's buckle down and do the work here, you know, or, Things are just, you know, or maybe like after he loses his potato uh, garden, you know, he he starts to go crazy. You know, he starts to like, oh, he's becoming like despondent or something. I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the segment of the movie where he goes into woe is me and starts talking to volleyballs. And I was like, if that happens, I may have to fucking because I can't take it. There's a reason why I never saw that that Tom Hanks movie. I, I don't want to watch stuff like that. Um, just that's just a personal thing with me. I I don't like it. So you know, even again, and as much as I love oh, Jesus, what was the movie where the, where they tried to where the oil riggers drill a hole in a meteor? Armageddon. There we go. And while I love Steve Buscemi's performance in Armageddon, even that, I'm like, yeah, okay, space. You 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 know you you got space sickness. Thorin's got gold sickness. Everyone's good. Everyone's just having psychotic breakdowns in the movies. Got it. Fucking Christ. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not. It, it doesn't appeal to me. I don't like it. I don't think it adds anything to the narrative. Um, I, like, I actually I'm like more... Castaway, but uh, I understand your point. So I, I, I like the fact that here we had a guy who was a professional who had who dug who. I think it says more about the human spirit that he dug deep and didn't go crazy like. You know, that he was, that despite things not always going his way and it being in a scary situation, like being trapped and possibly dying on a planet, um, that he kept it together. And that made me root for him. And that's, that's the thing, you know, it might be a, an, an easy thing just to root for a guy to get home because you don't want to see any human being stranded. Well, maybe you might want to see some really bad people, but generally speaking, you don't want to, 
stop it. Um, you don't want to see people, you know, good, decent people stranded on a planet. But I mean, like I said, had he started to devolve into, you know, talking to volleyballs, I might want, I might have wanted to. But the fact that he he displayed traits of a hero, uh, and he, you know, and he kept with it, and he got through the process, and you know, and even in the end, where they they, they damn near miss him in the pickup. He's just like, fuck it. I'll just poke a hole in my suit. And you know, I'm like, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass me by. And God damn it, I'm not going to die. I loved it. I mean, you know, like I, as far as, you know, we've seen so many movies this past year of guys in tights with special powers. But to me, that's, uh, that's kind of like the 9-11 firefighter. What makes you a hero? It's when everyone's running out of the fire, you're running into it. And what made him a hero? Despite everything working against him, he got home. And to me, that that that's that's plenty. That's that's good enough. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Again, the closest he gets to losing his mind is towards the end of it. He goes a little bit wonky in that he figures out that, and it's not. And again, it's a credit to both the writing and the acting that it doesn't come off as him going crazy or you know anything that's off-putting. But when he talks about him being a space pirate for example, which was hilarious, by the way, and completely accurate for those of you who are interested. His line of legal reasoning is completely accurate. Yeah, I, I guess I, of, of his narratives, you know, like I don't remember the Aquaman one, um, but, the, and I only bring that up because it's, that's in, been in a lot of articles that have come out about the movie. The one, that made, the one that made me laugh and the one that I was the most interested in was his bit on being a pirate. Uh, there's a couple of his little bits that I found amusing. Uh, the one about him, oh, by the way, I've actually colonized Mars. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there was a couple of good I mean, his stuff on, on disco, you know, you, you're to the top of the show. Like, oh, what, to, be stranded on, to be stranded on a planet with nothing but I disco. I believe hell involves being stranded on Mars completely alone with nothing but disco music. I think there's a very specific portion of hell that is comprised of exactly that. I don't mind it. I, I, you know, um, so it's funny. Whenever I think of uh, I Will Survive, I actually think of the, uh, the cover by Cake. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, it. was not even aware that it existed. And was probably better off not knowing. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, interesting choice of music. <laughs> to tell the tale. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of it. I mean, look, much as I dislike disco, my dislike is not kind of the visceral, uh, almost disgust I have for like bad rap or bad hip hop or dubstep. Uh, I just I can't stand that. I don't like disco, but. I mean, it could always be worse. Sure. I will say, I got a kick out of him in the Rover with uh, as hot stuff is playing because his heater is actually a radioactive. <laughs> uh, it's a radioactive space heater that they don't, that they're not supposed to be around because it's a decaying radio. Again, it's radioactive. He needs a heater for his rover so he digs this up wraps it in something to kind of contain the radiation and use it as a space heater so um, I have I, go ahead finish and then I have my this is officially the least disco song I have access to right now <laughs> so I have one one quibble one thing I did not 
No, I didn't like it. I just felt like of all the things they spent time on in this uh, in this movie, they could have this they could have fleshed out a little bit more because I felt like they just glossed over it. Um, they spent so much time sort of showing you how much time he he had to spend on this planet uh, and the things that he had to do in order to survive. And that was you know the first third, maybe two thirds of the movie. But then there's this whole leg of his trip where he's in the rover. And I don't, I've done long haul trucking, okay? I didn't do it for very long, but I have been, I have driven trucks, whether they be U-Hauls or 18-wheelers um, for 12-hour stretches of a day to, you know, from New York to California. And it's hard. It, it's, you know, it's just driving that long um, driving a large vehicle, it's not easy. It's what, you know, truckers have my respect. And I feel like... Oh, my dad would be happy to know that. <laughs> they, I feel like they just glossed over... I mean, because he was in the truck for, what, like a year or something like that? I mean, it was a long journey across the planet. It was, uh, I believe they mentioned specifically a couple of months. Okay, so uh, imagine... So, it was I mean, not a came, short trip. He traveled right. like seven thousand miles. So, from so just so people understand this, imagine you're it's it's about three thousand miles from from um, New York City to Los Angeles, give or take. Okay, so essentially, imagine doing that trip three times without stopping. And I know that's nine thousand, not seven thousand, but you know, but you know, or or that or. Um, you know, do that. Trip. Leave from Los Angeles, drive to New York, then drive back. And that, that's six thousand, and then add another thousand miles. Right? Like I don't know, Chicago or some shit, um, somewhere in the middle. And I mean, and and not stop, right? And and you're the only one doing it. I mean, well, he I has never... to. Yeah, he has to stop every so often to recharge the solar. Because again, he has scavenged solar panels that he uses to recharge the batteries that power the rover. Right. So, I mean, so it's not that like he's driving, he never gets out of the rover. He has to constantly get out and charge the thing and he has to sleep and everything else. So, like I said, just imagine drive, just imagine that trip if it were you. And like I said, I've done it. I've driven across this country a bunch of times. But I always had somebody with me to sort of share the driving. I remember the first time I drove out to Los Angeles with a friend of mine and we had to stop because he was starting to hallucinate. <laughs> he had been up so long driving. So, yeah, but uh, it's not a good spot to be in. Now, again, my my dad did long haul truck driving for quite some time. I've been with him a couple of times when I was a kid. I've driven across the country a few times. Uh, I've, you know, again, I've done a lot of traveling and I'm with you and it kind of sucks they had to uh, in the novel, apparently, there's a few different things that occur as he's in transit like that. There's a sandstorm he has to avoid. The reality of this is the movie is already over two hours long, and I think something just had to kind of get cut. And in this instance, they cut out parts of his trip. And mm -hmm. I'm with you in that I would have very much enjoyed it if we could have seen you know, a little bit more of him doing that. But... Because yeah, there's an economy of time here and something had to go. Well, I wish, you know, I told you there were parts of the movie in the middle that kind of dragged. I wish the parts where he was stationary in the base, some of that got cut 
and we got more of the trip because it doesn't because it's honestly if you're watching the movie you're not paying any attention it feels like that trip in the rover was like maybe a week and it's not yeah it doesn't feel nearly as long as again this is a all things considered again this is like a three to four month endeavor that he's on yeah so I just I would have liked to have seen that because again we we do get the sense of how hard this is for him, um, which is which is the appeal of the movie. But then it sort of gets I I I won't go as far as to say it's a rush to the end because you know it's not it's not you know, but the movie does feel a bit top heavy. You know it's it's a lot of oh my god he's stuck on this planet and he's looking out into the horizon and the horizon is beautiful and I you know I don't want that stuff cut, but. You know, it's, it's kind of like what we we were talking about Transformers. Is you know you want you know you have stuff to show here, um, and every and every part of it really does play a a role in 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 getting through the narrative. So what do you cut? If you have to cut something, what do you cut? And unfortunately, I feel like they cut, you know, whether or not they shot it at all, they cut that trip. And I would have felt and I felt like you needed to drive home how hard that trip was, and it's not driven home at all. I would have been perfectly fine also if, I mean, again, he actually leaves a note in the rover uh, to whoever finds it next. Because, again, he's at the landing site for the next manned mission, so the rover's going to be there. He actually leaves a note that, you know, to whom it may concern, uh, please take care of the, take good care of this rover. She saved my life. Right. And, I, I mean, again, I know we don't want you know, him losing his mind here, but... Uh, Ironically enough, you know, a little bit more kind of emotion as he's leaving, you know, what's been his mobile home for four months. Mm-hmm. You know, something like that, I think, would have you know, kind of helped you know, drive home that point. <laughs> Not for nothing, but I used to drive an hour and 15 minutes to work, and by the end of it, I didn't want to get out of my car anymore. I can only imagine how he felt. Oh, he was probably very done, because there's a there's a threshold where you're just like, okay, I'm settled in, I really don't want to stop, and then you get to the point where, no, I if I see another car, I'm going to vomit. <laughs> you know, and I, I remember um, eating in the car in order to stay awake. Now, granted, he doesn't have the problem of necessarily driving into traffic, but, I mean, you know, there is... Oh, he's got to worry it. about... Because if that thing gets stuck, he's a little bit screwed. Yeah, he's not calling AAA. You know, he he is. I imagine that was a very stressful thing. Okay, you know, I've got to not crash. I've got to avoid, you know, sand dunes. Right, not off a cliff. Because that's the yeah, only thing. He's not I, on make road. sure that make sure I know the topography of the area I'm covering because. Right. So I mean, there's there's a lot going on here, and like, so like I said, it's not like. You know, like I remember uh, driving to work on, especially after nights that I would do like casual heroes recording, we wouldn't get done until like one, like one, two o'clock in the morning, and I'd have to be up by five. So, you know, I'd be driving with like one eye open, and there were times where my eyes just plain old shut. You know, thankfully the the trip from from Valrico to Polcat to uh, to Frostproof, there's not a lot of cars on the road at six o'clock in the morning. Thank God, but you know, there were definitely times where my eyes got very, very heavy. And so imagine you're this guy. And, and, and one of the things I used to complain about is, um, we're not getting into a lot of specifics here, but Polk County is very rural. It's where a lot of the vegetation 
that Florida grows comes from. It's, it's actually pretty famous for its or orange groves, which oranges are yeah, obviously one of the staple, staple products of Florida. So imagine an hour and 15 minutes and an hour of it basically is just orange groves. <laughs> orange groves. Yeah, I've driven across both Kansas and Wyoming. Believe me, I sympathize. You know, I remember driving across country um, and driving through the panhandle of Texas, which looked like <laughs> fucking limbo. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. There is There's nothing. Yeah, there is nothing for miles in any direction except the occasional sign that says beware of rattlesnakes. So, you know, take all, take all that into consideration and then, you know, you're Matt Damon driving your only method of transportation. If this thing breaks down, if you, you know, if you hit a divot in, in the ground too hard and break your axle, he's fucked. You know, like I didn't have to worry about that. If I, you know, if my to you know, Toyota Tacoma, or rather my Toyota uh, Corolla, fucking, you know, breaks an axle, I, I call up the tow truck and, you know, tow my ass home. There was no towing him home if, if anything on that car went, on that rover went down. And so the point of all of this is, is I would have liked to have seen more of that. Because I think if, like, if you had interviewed people, like, what was the hardest part of that? Well, obviously trying to grow food. No, the hardest part's that fucking drive. Yes, me. Uh, you know, I would agree. I mean, you're worried about getting the potatoes to grow, but once they're once they've started to grow, you know, potatoes are a hardy tuber. You know, you, you don't have to worry too much about them. I mean, again, you, you blow open the airlock and then you're screwed. But you know, once he gets them there, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to keep that going. You're getting the rover outfitted to where I can live in this thing for a few months. Yeah. And like if you look, if you look, one thing they did do is, is show you how small the compartment was. You know, he's first of all got to wear the spacesuit. That takes up room. That's bulky. And he's got to have supplies in there. So it's kind of like being in an 18-wheeler stands the compartment where you sleep. Yeah, he described it in the – I believe he had a line of dialogue where he says, I'm going to be spending, you know, four months in this thing, which is no bigger than, like, the cab of a van. Right. Um, so that's it. That's, I mean, you, you know, that, that was my only gripe with, with the film. Um, I thought, I thought all the performances were great. I thought the internal politics were great. I thought the, uh, I got a big laugh out of the, uh, council of Elrond again, featuring Sean Bean. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Oh, well, again, of course, even Jeff... funnier was Jeff Daniels saying, if this is the council of Elrond, I want to be Glorfindel. Right. Right. Which I'm sure like no one else in the theater with me got. No, I wait a minute. He wasn't in the movie. You beat me to it, but I laughed out loud at that. I thought, you know, because again, I'm used to him, his character from the newsroom, and that was a very much that character moment. Uh, my only quasi gripe with this is, I believe I mentioned this offline. I might have mentioned it online here yet, but if I haven't, Sean Bean is in this movie and doesn't die, and it just shattered my perception of reality. Again, uh, we, I think I said this offline. They should have, when, when, the, um, when the crew lands on Earth, it, it should have just fallen straight on its head. I would have been perfectly fine with him after he resigns. He is forced to resign after they get Matt Damon home. He got, he's walking outside with his you know, box of belongings, and he gets hit by a drunk driver. Maybe they, maybe they could have had T Timothy Oliphant just walk on screen and draw on him and then say, I'll oh, eh. just 
I don't think Walk we need him at the elephant in this movie. <laughs> Rayland, you bastard! People listen to this going what? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm assuming most people don't understand your reference there. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Why? Just Justified was not. Was Justified not a popular show? Am I missing something? Yeah. It only ended and, in April. Yeah, I mean, again, well, it was it had the benefit of being on FX, which has a much different threshold. All right, let's move on. Uh, okay, if there was anything I felt weak apart from, again, there are things that I would have liked to have seen done more with. Uh, again, we talked about his journey, which was, I imagine, extraordinarily taxing, physically and mentally. Uh, I could have done without Donald Glover, but... That's just kind of my general perspective on life. Uh, oh, I was, uh, I had something about the crew. Okay, yeah, there were two things about this. First of all, I fully expected someone on that crew to surpass Mark Wahlberg as the worst astronaut in cinema history. <laughs> no, it's still Mark Wahlberg. First of all, I, I, that has to be noted. Mark Wahlberg, still the worst astronaut in movie history. Uh, although, I will say this, Kate Mara and Michael Pena do kind of give him a run for his money. See, yeah, I thought Michael Pena and Kate Mara were fine in this. I, I said, I don't think there was a weak performance or, you know, oh, that, oh, that actor was just playing themselves. I mean, we've seen Michael Pena in Ant-Man earlier in the year where he played kind of a toaster oven. Uh, Isn't Michael Pena always just a toaster oven? Well, he wasn't in this movie, is my point. Okay. And I think it would be unfair to categorize him as such. Okay, okay. Was that the only one waiting for Kate Mara to get get, uh, hit by cosmic rays? I was waiting for her to get off my screen. (laughs) I, I honestly feel she contributes almost nothing to the movie. Well, it's un- well. I mean, this is really Matt Damon's story, and so you have the story of the crew, which doesn't really become important until they're going to go and you know until one they discover he's alive, two they decide that they're going to uh, abandon their original orders and go rescue him. Uh, but the movie, it's it's Matt Damon's story first, and then second the secondary story where the internal politics deal, you know, with the people on the ground. So, you know, you had Jeff Daniels and you had Sean Bean and um, What's his Donald face? Glover. Huh? No, 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 not Donald Glover matters very little, except that he proposes the plan they inevitably use. Who's the other black uh, guy? I can never pronounce this guy's name. It's uh, Chedwiji Ijefor, and I know I'm saying that wrong. Okay, so African-African guy. Um, and then, you know, even Kristen Wiig, I thought, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not a big Kristen – Kristen Wiig fan. Neither am I, but... I'm not a fan of a lot of modern Saturday Night Live players, but I actually thought her performance for her character in this movie was fantastic. Uh, She did great. I mean, again, she's the PR person for NASA, and she's kind of harangued by, do you you people not understand how to present things to the media? (laughs) Which Which I thought was very true. I thought it spoke to the truth of the situation where you have a lot of... I mean, these are scientists, and you know, in some cases, scientists that are also politicians. But you know, th- these are people who don't necessarily, who might not necessarily know how to how to convey what needs to be conveyed uh, to the public without you know creating a panic of sorts. So I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that element of it that it wasn't just a, a straight 
You know, it, this wasn't you know, this wasn't Saving Private Ryan in space. No, this was actually uh, it, again. If you need to sell someone on this movie, I would sell it as a mashup of Apollo 13 and Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, that makes sense. So I would recommend this movie to people, um, especially if you like science fiction. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a it's a great it's a great modern science fiction movie. Um, it's a great it's a great tale of the human spirit. It's well acted. You know, the ensemble is, is outstanding, and the by far the star of this movie is the planet Mars. The way they caption it on screen, beautiful. Like honestly. I don't know if you, if you um, and there's a movie theater out by us. It's a, a Cinebistro. You know, you go and you have dinner at the movie theater, and they, then they, you know, they bring your food while you're watching the movie and everything. And they usually will, sh- before they show like the the proper preview movie previews, they show like these nature these these IMAX Blu-ray nature movies, um, and just just the trailers for them, and they're gorgeous to look at. You know, they, they're, they're kind of trippy. And that's kind of what I felt like when I was watching, you know, the, the landscape of Mars where, you know, I could almost like hear music in the background and I could have just sat and watched that for a good 20 minutes and been perfectly satisfied. Yeah, I, I completely agree with your assessment. I think they did a great job of, this is Matt Damon's story, but they do a great job of not trying to put the whole movie on Matt Damon's shoulders. Right. And large part because I think he would have collapsed under the weight, even though... He's on Mars, and Mars has less than 30% the gravity of Earth. He still would have fallen over. Matt Damon. Uh, Matt Damon, he went to Mars. <laughs> all right, that's all I got to say. I think that's all I've got on this one. Uh, I need to, okay. We're coming up on uh, what we like to, what is referred to as kind of awards season. This is the time of year when people start releasing movies that are either very, very seasonal. Uh, This is where a lot of the horror movies get dumped or where you're putting movies that you think are going to contend for awards in some capacity. What Mark and I do here, we don't generally review movies that are going to be an Oscar contention by and large. Uh, (laughs) And that's very, that's very deliberate. You know, we try to, again, everything we do here is we, we look at movies that are going to generate the most clicks, the people we think are most interested to hear about, things of that nature. And if that happens to overlap with a genuinely well-made, well-acted movie, then that's just, you know, bananas. We're very happy about that, as opposed to something like, you know, Transformers, which is just there. Spectacular. Gets better every time I see it. I assume that's because you fall asleep sooner and sooner after it starts. <laughs> Get on with it. So anyway, my point being, this one, this movie is generating some relatively substantial buzz as far as awards go, and I'm curious, you know, as far as what you think might actually win an Oscar. I think this is probably one of the better movies so far this year. And I'm having a hard time remembering off the top of my head what might, uh, you know, give it the boot. If I, again, hypothetically, if someone were to ask me, you know, okay, fill out your, you know, card to submit to the Academy, 
at the moment, this is probably at the top of the list, and I'm having a hard time thinking of something that might that I'm overlooking in placing it there. So I'm curious for you. It, again, objectively speaking, uh, best movie so far? I definitely think it's an Oscar contender. I was actually, I'm actually going to Rotten Tomatoes now to see... Um, it's at like 93. Yeah, well, no, it's definitely certified fresh. What I'm wondering is uh, what, were, what were the top um, top scores for the year so far? Which, if I can find it, I will uh, I will let you know. But um, to answer your question, it's definitely an Oscar nominee. I, I think it was perfectly I think it was purposely uh, released around this time for that reason, as you said. Um, so yeah, actually, it's got some competition. Current competition, it's Martians at ninety three percent. Sicario is also at ninety three percent. I'm pretty sure that's going to be. Um, that's also going to be a Oscar contender. I would assume. Um, yeah. So right now, oh Jesus Christ! Um, I'm just looking at uh, a list of, of what's what's come out so far. The Martians at 93 percent. The Cario's at 93 percent. Um, Black Mass is at 75. The Walk is 87. Uh, I'm only going to read the ones that are over 90. Um, Grandma, which I have no idea what that's about. Uh, is 93%. Rogue Nation's 92. Straight Outta Compton's 90. Uh, right now, the big, the big one, Inside Out, 98%. Well, that's clearly best animated movie of the year. It's not even close. Phoenix, 99. Coming Home, 91. The Gift, 93. Um, End of the Tour, 92. Second Mother, 90, which is like foreign language, I think, is 95. I hate to tell you, but Spy with uh, Melissa McCarthy, 93%. I've long since given up hope. I don't under I don't pretend to understand other people's taste in comedy, and I've given up trying to do so, as long as they will do me the same courtesy. The Look of Silence, 93%. I don't know what that is. But, um, so, I mean, as far as what's out, I mean, I'm, I'm not... I'm looking at like coming soon. Um, you know, not a whole lot jumps out at me as uh, you know something where I think, oh, that's definitely going to be an, an Oscar. Maybe Woodlawn. Um, uh, Joy seems like it's going to be a pretty stiff contender. At least that's the yeah, impression definitely I got. Joy. So we'll see. Um, but I mean, if it if it doesn't win for at least best cinematography. And I'm sure uh, it'll de- they'll get de- they'll definitely be best supporting uh, nominations in both categories. Whether or not it wins, who knows? But it, but it'll it'll get nominated. Matt Damon will probably get nominated for best actor. Um, I doubt, don't think he will. I don't know if he'll win, but uh, he'll I don't even think he'll get nominated. You don't, huh? Okay. Uh, I mean, again, much as I enjoyed his performance, I think. The performances in the past that I would draw comparisons to are things that were good performances, but were ultimately kind of overshadowed by better ones. And just, and they, it kind of fell through the cracks. And I so think I, that's where he's going to wind up. So I rearranged the uh, the movies so that they would be in order of certified freshness. Um, at the top of the list, nothing's 100, but there are two that are 99%. One of them, Sean the Sheep. Okay. The other one is Phoenix. Movie I didn't see. Um, 
there are two that are 98, one's inside out. The other one is the IMAX uh, story with the, with, with, the, uh, with the animals called Born to be Wild. Okay, that doesn't actually count, but all right. <laughs> just, just sharing this with you. Uh, and again, I asked. All right. See, um, I'm not. I'm not the easy person to have this conversation with because I don't pay that close attention to the Oscars. Like I, 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 I understood the question and everything, and I could speak about it at least semi-intelligently. But I remember the one year I paid attention to the Oscars. I swear to God, every movie that was nominated had to do with the Iraq War. Yeah, that's okay. happened a couple of times. I'm not big on it, but when we're talking about, again, a movie of legitimate quality from kind of top to bottom, I think it bears discussion. No, absolutely. All right. What are we doing next week? Pan. Ah. Hugh Jackman plays Black Goatee. You know, uh, part of the reason why I put this on the list was I knew my wife wanted to go see it, but I thought we were going to be bringing the kids. I figured at the very least we would bring – uh, my four-year-old, who's going to be five in January, to go see this. She's a huge Peter Pan, like you know, the animated Peter Pan show. Big fan of Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Just all things Peter Pan. She she loves loves the Tinkerbell movies. I figured, you know, I don't think this movie's going to be horrible for her. Um, you know, and last year I wanted her to I wanted to bring her to see Maleficent. Of course, she was then three, going on four. And my yeah, wife shot might that. not have been the best idea. Well, hang on, because she has seen the movie at home, and she likes it. My my daughter is all healed. She She's totally into heels. Just thought Maleficent was fantastic. Um, um, we discussed our issues with it, but by and large, it's a fine movie. So I figured, okay, well, now she's a little bit older, and she's a Peter Pan fan. So, you know, well, I'll make sure to get this on the on the review schedule. It is the big movie coming out this week. Um I don't. I don't think it, it, there's even a whole lot of competition. What else uh, but comes out this week? I don't. I don't know. I I, I clicked out, out of Rotten Tomatoes. Um, okay. But I figured that we we'd be going as a family, and that would make it easier. My wife was like, "What are you nuts?" I, I, you know, she apparently has heard from a, a variety of sources that Pan is not for small children. So that, that'll be one of the things I'll be looking for in this movie. You know, I mean, her thing was she she doesn't mind letting Lily watch these movies at home where, you know, if it gets to be too much for her, we can quit, turn it off, you know, or she can turn away or whatever. But you'll be trapped in a movie, you know, which she could barely get through Hotel Transylvania 2 without uh, having to constantly move around. She's like, yeah, I'm not bringing her to see fucking Pan. I'm like, all right, good point. Uh, we don't want to uh, do Steve Jobs instead because Michael Fassbender's awesome. I don't have time to see two movies this weekend. Sorry, we're busy. All right, so we're already stuck with. So we're stuck with Pan then. We're stuck with Pan. Listen, the following week you get to do Crimson Peak with Jason Teasley by your by yourself. Well, not by myself. I'm with Jason. I said by yourselves, plural. Okay, sorry, I missed the plural. And then the week after that, it's gonna be my favorite review of the year: <laughs> Jam and the Holograms versus. Uh, paranormal activities, the ghost dimension. A dog. Yep, and again, for those of you who are not aware, the the gimmick is going to be we're going to see which of us can best review the other's movie without, ever, without having seen it. 
<laughs> I'm excited. You know, I had to avert my eyes during the trailer for the Ghost Dimension. Really? Yes, I didn't want to. I I didn't want to know what Toby looked like, and I felt like they were like they flashed, and I thought they showed him, and I'm like, I can't watch this. Oh, it'll be some horribly done CGI monster. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But uh, I'm actually gonna have like, to watch. Watch. I was like, I don't, need to, I don't need to see it. I'll actually rewatch uh, the fourth one before seeing it, just in case there's some kind of bizarre connectivity. And yes, despite the fact that the two of us are seeing two different movies, we are completely skipping both Bill Murray and Vin Diesel that week. Yeah, I have no interest in seeing Vin Diesel in The Last Witch Hunt, or whatever it's called. It's The Last Witch Hunt. Okay. Uh, I mean, so well, that'll be can only, fun. Next we can only, I can only do one movie. The only time I'm 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 breaking the exception, and even then, we're we're stretching it out over two weeks. Is, you know, I can't go see more than one movie a weekend. I guess you know, unfortunately, uh, James Bond and the Peanuts movie both came out in the same weekend, so there's no way to avoid it. But I don't want to do that all year long. You know, I can't be living at the movie theaters. Well, the benefit to those two is there's nothing the week after. So right. you can actually put off one until the next weekend to go see it if you if it's a time issue. Right, which is what we're doing. But you know, but this is why we don't review everything that comes out. Well, that and we don't get paid. <laughs> but hey, next February, Deadpool. Oh God! <laughs> All right, get, get us out of here. The only reason I am agreeing to see Deadpool is because it comes out the same weekend as Zoolander 2, and I would rather shoot myself in the eye than see Zoolander 2. You are an important part of this podcast, sir. That's why you're doing it. No. Yes. I'm I'm doing it because those are the two options, and rather than completely remove myself from the show, I'm choosing the much lesser of two evils. (laughs) And choosing to shoot yourself in the foot instead of the kneecap. Yeah, uh, this is a, again. We are still firmly in the ninth circle of hell, but I've moved from being completely locked under the ice to being able to move my head. <laughs> All right. Um, just so everyone, I guess we're doing plugs since we're talking about the schedule. Um, yes. This uh, this Thursday, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom. We'll be reviewing the new Clutch. I'm very disappointed. Uh, it wasn't added to the Spotify database, so I've been forced to listen to the thing on YouTube. But uh, I did see Clutch in concert where they played most of the new album, Psychic Warfare, which is what we'll be reviewing. And it's good. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's no electric worry on this one as such, but it's as good as Strange Cousins from the West. So, you know, it's no From Beale Street to Oblivion. It's no Earth Rocker. But it, it, you know, it's just as good as Strange Cousins from the West. That's probably the best way I can describe it. Um, but all, all clutch is good clutch. In any case, we'll be reviewing it 10.30 tomorrow night, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. So Thursday night um, on the, on the Rattled and Broadcasting Network. A week from Thursday starts our uh, Halloween special two-part episode. We'll be looking at uh, and this year's entry into the Long Road to Ruin horror Hall of Fame is Jaws. So Sean Comer and I, not Jed, I don't know why, he, I think Jed just happened to mention he liked Jaws, but no, he will not be on the show. Uh, just Sean and I will be talking uh, Jaws. So apparently it's everyone's favorite movie. So you know, we'll see how that it's goes. It's a great movie. 
Um, and then after that, uh, a week after that, uh, we'll be looking at Thrall Sunblot, and the week after that, Jaws Part 2. And uh, when we'll, we'll go a little closer to November, I'll tell you what's going on in November. All right. Uh, everyone loves the bad guy was supposed to make a return this Friday. However, I got sucked into family stuff that was going to impede on my time. So it's actually going to be one more week out, but... I've got my schedule pretty much finalized, so I should be able to come back, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders and ready to go for quite a while without having to, you know, some, take some other kind of hiatus. Uh, you can also find me every most – I have to qualify this because I normally say every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time hosting the 411 Grand Pound Radio Show. However, we're taking this week off because there's nothing to talk about. Unless some major news breaks between now and Sunday, in which case, sure, Jeff and I will be on. We take live calls, and we'll see if if there's anything worth talking about. If not, we'll be back the Sunday after that to preview UFC Fight Night 76. Poirier versus Duffy, uh, live from... And it will that show comes to uh, that event comes to you live from uh, Dublin, Ireland. So that'll be fun. Great crowd in Ireland. And I think that's all I've got to plug. All right. And I believe we are exiting to hail the apocalypse once again because Mark likes it. So for Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey reminding everyone out there, first of all, thank you for stopping by, and please be well, be safe, and behave. 